Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia. I'm sitting here with Ben Hunter. And our guest today is the author of The Dickens Boy. You know him, you love him. It's Tom Keneally. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> Tom, you've got a... Uh You've had a number of successful novels that all concern um, notable figures and moments of historical turbulence in our history, and they're all viewed from a unique perspective. Um, and you write them with wit and compassion that is often lacking in our shared historical record. And this book isn't an exception. Um, it's The Dickens Boy. It's about Edward, better known as Pawn Dickens. Uh, the tenth child to the great writer, who's sent at the end of the 1860s to Melbourne to make his own way in the world, um, and the uh, completely unripe age of 16. What uh, drew you to Plorn? Well, I came across the story that uh, Dickens sent two sons here and that Trollope sent one, <laughs> and I researched them all, and I've written articles on them in The Guardian and <clears throat> in the Journal of the Royal Society of Literature in England. Uh, but I didn't think I could ever write a novel on them until I really started to look at Plorn and saw what a lost child he was. Mm. Uh, being the son of a, um, uh, both a, a, a civil saint of the British Empire and a literary genius didn't help poor old Plorn at all. I think he was very dyslexic. Uh, Dickens was very upset about the academic level that his sons achieved. Uh, and uh, he said that it was dispiriting to sit at the dinner table and see these blank looks coming back at him. At him. And he... Oh, he blamed their dyslexia and their um, uh, uh, their uh, scholastic mm. shortfallings upon the mother's family. He, his wife's uh, Catherine Catherine Hogarth. He blamed it on that without looking at the fact that many of his siblings were deadbeats. Um, and uh, so was his father. And so his father, of course, in debtor's prison, and so many of his novels are full of the fear and trauma of debtor's prison. In fact, he, he lived the way he did. He worked himself to death because of the fear, the debtor's prison his father went into, uh, exercised over him. Now... Why I also wrote it, so, so I s said, this is a lost kid. I'm not a pommy gentleman. <clears throat> I'm a boy from Homebush. I mean, I might be an 84-year-old boy, but still a child, <laughs> like most novelists. And um, I thought, uh, I can identify with this kid, spending his whole breathing life for the rest of his existence until he died in Moree in 1902, was dedicated to finding his groove. Dickens used that term, incidentally. Finding I, the groove. Yeah, I didn't. I would have thought it was a 20th century term. Yeah. But Dickens <laughs> used that term, finding your groove and applying yourself. And, of course, in the novel, Plorn is driven by the desire 
to find himself. It's a God. drastic idea to um, send not one but two sons. Two sons to another continent on the other side of the world. And the elder you've never been to. You you only have an imagined idea of what indeed, to them. and you don't know about the isohyets, and you don't and you don't know about the rainfall and the limitations they put on human prosperity in Australia, mm. <clears throat> and the limits they put upon the struggle to discover your soul. These boys are so much like Orpheus looking for Eurydice in the in the netherworld. They've been sent to the netherworld. And the land that's left is not the land that the convict Magwitch became prosperous on in great expectations. It's much more marginal. And um, uh, the uh, first place that Dickens, uh, little Dickens, Plorn, as his father nicknamed him, P-L-O-R-N, uh, I... I, I um, Spell it so there's no misunderstanding. Uh, the uh, this place um, was a place where young men uh, were sent to find themselves, which is like finding Eurydice. And they, the the Dickens boys, never quite did it. Nor did, although he wasn't uh, destroyed by it, uh, nor did Trollope's son. Okay. So <laughs> none of them got there. There's a meeting where the three sons, the Alfred, and in this book, Alfred Plorn, and uh, Alfred's god- godfather is, is Alfred Tennyson, Alfred Lord Tennyson, and they meet uh, Anthony Trollope's son, and the. Feelings between the parents were not the the fathers was not warm. I see because Trollope sent up um, uh, Dickens in the Warden called him Mister National Sentiment with a capital National Capital Sentiment, and um, they they were politically different. Uh, uh, Dickens was definitely a radical, uh, he, and so. They didn't admire each other, but the sons were just blokes trying to make a go of it in the bush, and so they they uh, got on. But one of the things that last thing that made me write it was Dickens' boss in the bush when he arrived at Momba, ninety kilometres north of Wilcannia on the course of the Peru River, which even in those days was dry. A lot of the mm. time. Uh, and that boss was an extraordinary Englishman, little bloke, um, an admirer of the Parkinji people, the people of the river, um, very much a man on the record as praising the Aboriginals, very much a man who thought they actually owned this place. And yes. he really is a forerunner of the Mabo decision and very much a man who didn't want to let the mounted police of any state loose on his territory. Because where they are is really close to South, South Australia, Australia. And close to Queensland, yes. Yeah. really rough frontier in terms of Absolutely. Contact. And the South Australian mounted police were responsible for a massacre out near Wentworth 
Mm. When the Parkinji people interrupted a droving party taking cattle, cattle to um, Adelaide. And then the Queenslanders used to come down into this 2,317 square mile uh, ranch property station, uh, used to come down pursuing over the border, Aborig- which was a notion, of course, out there, yes. uh, pursuing Aboriginals who'd committed. Uh, crimes in Queensland. And so uh, Dickens' boss, whose name was, he's a little Englishman um, uh, called uh, Bonnie, Fred Bonnie, uh, he was a remarkable bloke. He wrote uh, articles on the Parkinji people. He wrote, uh, ad- he re- took some of the earliest photographs. He was a wet and dry plate photographer over his period. Uh, and yeah, so something it of was an anthropologist and, and an anthropologist and a very close to the Parkinji and the Parkinji stuck close to him because he was their protection against slaughter and he um, they called him yellow birds because he used to have these native finches around his head whom he fed with grain out of his pockets now that's the sort of detail that history gives you that's worthy of fiction. It's yes. thought up mm. by some great, his, uh, gr- great uh, fictioneer in the sky. And so the fact that Dickens had such a remarkable boss attracted me to him also. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading Fred in this book. He's, a, he's, a, he's a, one of the remarkable characters. Um, there's a couple of uh, Aboriginal men who are also really uh, special to read. Uh, Kalte, am I saying that right? Kalte, yes. And, and Yandy or Yandi? Yandi, yes. Fascinating men. Um, there's a there's a chap called Larkin who's really cool. Well, um, he's an ex- he's the child of convicts, and he's based on my wife's grandfather. Okay. My wife's grandfather was a child of. That's how close we are, guys my age, the convicts. My wife's grandfather, whom mm. she knew when she was a little kid, was the illegitimate child of two Irish convicts. The bastard from the bush and a great bloke. But anyhow, I wanted to praise the children of convictism. And uh, yeah. so I put Larkin in there as the the new man, the new style of man. Yeah, yeah, this kind of new, the Australian the, the Larkin. Fully paid up man in yeah. Australia, but a less, less than human in the eyes of those who transported his... There's this beautiful tension between... Um, uh, Plorn is is instructed to to come into this station far far into the frontier with with a British imperial mindset. He is a wealthy man. His his father is a great man. He is to be an English gentleman. Yes, and not to mix and not to take drink with these people. Not to not to be seduced into drinking nobblers with drovers. Yeah. Uh, but of course he has to do all of these things for his very survival and he, and he has a fantastic time of it. And he likes people, the poor yeah. kid. The poor kid liked people and uh, so he likes shearers. He's fascinated that they wear red shirts in honour of Garibaldi. Yes. Um, and he's fascinated by the men, Englishmen, Irishmen, Scotsmen, who live in the huge paddocks as hut keepers. 
There are paddocks out there that are 40 miles across, and in the core of them live one or two men in a hut. Fascinating and they, stuff. Uh, and uh, their solitude is... They are men who have chosen solitude. Yes, and uh, Merino is, is the lifeblood of everything they do. Yes, you know, the, indeed. The, it's, it's like... Um, opium poppies in rural Afghanistan or something. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's everything they rely on. And at that stage of history, um, the Australians, that plenty that had been put in place by Aboriginals for over 70 or so millennia, uh, that uh, grass, the grasses that were there, the, they were still flourishing. And so... But on top of that, the merino, which was a stolen sheep, stolen from the Spanish by the English, the merino ram turned out to love the semi-arid shrubs out there, the, the mulga, the, the, not only the mulga bush, which they could feed them in, uh, in, in drought, but uh, the um, salt bush and... Uh, this seemed uh, to be a miracle, this uh, concatenation of a huge market, a plentiful semi-arid locale that the merino flourished in. And so um, they couldn't get over this, uh, uh, th this converging of factors mm which made blokes like um, like Bonnie, like Fred Bonnie, rich and would one day make Plorn rich. It's, it's awesome stuff. Uh, who, who did you really enjoy? I mean, I, I get a sense that you really love all these, these, these blokes and there are, there are women here too, but they're very few and far between in this kind of frontier places. Um, who did you really enjoy writing the most? Well, I liked... Connie, because I made her the ultimate Australian girl. When, when Plorn sneaks hold of her hand, he finds that it's rough mm. from riding. He finds that it's as rough as a man's. And I like that, the idea of a landscape producing a new kind of, of human. Uh, but uh, I uh, liked Alfred too. The fact that um, Alfred of course, Dickens, Con the Con Connie brother. was the bloke that that he ended up marrying. No, sorry, mm. the woman <laughs> that he ended up marrying. Yes, she is uh, a new kind of woman. On top of that, uh, there's um, the French woman who's been ha has caught a curse from I won't say what curse from her husband the station, stock and station agent. And the place of stock and station agents as makers or maras mm. of men in the wilderness uh, is uh, uh, as astonishing. But, yeah, I, I love them all. Some of the... There's an old bloke he meets in a pub at a place called Pack Saddle. Yep. And... This old fellow is characteristic of the problem that Plorn has from the start, that everyone knows his father's work better than he does. Yes. 
and, and, he, he, and the only reprieve of coming to Australia for Plon is that he'll get away from that. But yes, of course, it's it's worse than ever. It's worse. people give him the manuscripts makes, to send to his yes, father. <laughs> the the distance makes him even more um, revered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so this old man recites part of our mutual friend. I think it is. To, but he is a man who's discovered silver already out there in the barrier ranges, but he hasn't been able to raise the money to extract it. So he is a pre-BHP, and there he is, a lost old man in a pub where he's going to die, renting a room and reciting, um, reciting Dickens to Dickens' son. Um, of course, and then there is the horrible business of um, the hunting of the Parkinchi by the Queensland Mounted Police. They were the most reprehensible of all at that stage. And their idea was, um, you know, we are far out from inquiry. We're a long way from anyone looking at us. So they mm. come down into the northern... Um, uh, northern part of the station where they meet young Dickens who has been put in charge of an art station called Wonko and uh, uh, that is part of the climax of the book that that other side of Australia is is revealed to young Plorn. He sees the very best and the very worst. Mm, yes, yes. Uh, the, the other thing about Alfred that's good is that there are two ways of looking at Dickens. People are very, even though to most of us he's still the secular saint, he's, he's Mr. Christmas, but he was Christmas in a G-string because he had this girlfriend on the side. The argument about who Dickens was continues between Alfred Tennyson Dickens, who drinks too much, yes. and his brother, and we find out all the goss <laughs> yes, <you do. laughs> of the um, Dickens family, and above all this hurtful thing that happened when Plorn was six, yes. where his father made his mother leave after ten kids, and published this weird document in, called The Violated Letter, uh, it's called in British literature The Violated Letter and publishes this letter about how he and his wife were criminally unsuited, to which he could have reasonably said, wish you'd told me but I, before I had the ten kids. Uh, but on top of that, his sister-in-law stayed with him. Mm. Her sister remained with him and there was always... As that was a shadow. I mean, it was both, it saved the family. Yeah, the and Plorn, kids Plorn loved seems that, to be fine with not... it at the time, but as he becomes a man himself, yeah. he, he's, he stops seeing his father as this lauded saint and, and sees him as a man as well. Yes, indeed. And uh, so, but they quickly suss out that the colonials only want to hear the best about their father. And so they tell these cosy stories. But when they're on their own and drinking and Alfred gets pissed, they have bitter arguments about him, about that famous railway crash where Dickens was a hero, and, but partly because he had to leave his girlfriend and a mother 
uh, and his girlfriend was a lovely girl called um, Nellie Turnan, an Irish actress. He, he didn't, I say, he was Father Christmas in a G-string, not quite because it was a hard affair. He fell in love with her, but he got lumbered with her, her mother and her sisters, one of whom married into the Trollope family. Trollops again. Yeah, one of them <laughs> married Trollope's brother. And um, there is a great novel in Mr and Mrs Trollope coming here too. There's oh, good. <laughs> to be written. Uh, Can we expect that from you next time? Uh, no, this, I, I thought I was going to write the whole story of the Dickens boys, but I only get to 1970. And there's so much. And 1870. I, sorry. <laughs> yes. I, I was there, so it seems more recent. Yeah. Uh, 1870. I only get to six months after Dickens' death, which yes. is, and we don't know how the Dickens boys found out, but they found out from, they would have first heard rumours, and then those rumours would have been confirmed. So you got uh, to play with that as an author. Yes, indeed, and that's the great thing about that's that's the open door to the historical novelist, novelist yeah. in like the 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 straight gate through which you can enter and find a whole garden. Mm. Uh, in this case, full of bush rangers who are very literary. You play with all of it. You weave all of it. I can see why you only got to 1870. <laughs> yes. And I thought... Maybe you've got well, a series out of it. Well, don't end it with his death as a lands inspector in Maury in 92 when he separated sadly from Connie, the love of his life. Right. Uh, end it with this redemption that occurs, and with his redemption from his father's death. He finds out that there's a, his father wrote a letter which is very hurtful to him, 20 days before his father died. And uh, he has to go through a spirit journey to get mm. an Aboriginal spirit journey to encounter his father again and, and get rid of that. To, um, and uh, it is, of course, associated with the uh, Aboriginal massacre that occurs uh, late in the book and did occur in Northern. There were some people who didn't want to come in and kept wandering, and they were called various names like intractables, um, and so they were a target. of They used to wander up into Queensland. Some of the young men might have a, a brawl with a couple of miners and, and kill, a, kill a couple of them. And the, those uh, were amply revenged by massacres, you know. Yes. Uh, was a bit like the Nazis in that it was, you know, 30 civilians for every SS man shot. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, the uh, very, very strange times, but um, the, uh, it's sad to me that uh, people don't know about it out there. Uh, if, I think you've got to follow this up, Tom. <laughs> if your customers, if Booktopia customers will only buy this book 
I know it's hard times, but you're going to be in isolation for two weeks. This is a good isolation. <laughs> what a pitch. <laughs> I think we just need the last 30 seconds and scrap the rest of the podcast. Just need a little bit. Thanks, Tom. It sounds like you have the makings of a couple of great books there. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about The Dickens Boy. Thank you. If you are interested in finding out more about the incredible stories of the Dickens siblings, check out Tom Keneally's book, The Dickens Boy, which you can buy right now at booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au.